Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. My name is Rich Schmidt. It is April 4th, 2017. We're here with Mo Ayub. Is Ayub correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, and Mo, we'll start you off with an easy one, which is why wine? Because I like wine. <laughs> as simple as that. Uh, I like food and wine, and uh, really my uh, passion for food starts me on liking wine. I'm, uh, in addition to winemaking, I'm a trained chef also. I uh, went to cooking school in New York back in the mid-90s. Took a hiatus from... Uh, engineering and cooked for about three years in another Italian restaurant and then Galileo and uh, in Washington DC and over the years developed passion for wine also uh, working in the restaurant industry and cooking at home and Mm -hmm. and uh, so after doing three years of cooking decided to go back to engineering to make some money, open a restaurant someday. Uh, <laughs> I continue cooking part-time while I'm doing that. And then I decided to move to California with a job, an engineering job. So I moved to the Bay Area back in 97. Mm-hmm. And um, worked there till about 99, 2000 actually. Uh, had an opportunity to come up on a business trip back in 99. It brought me to Oregon. I spent three months in a hotel in Tualatin here. And on my day off, I uh, went out to explore wine country. And I met a lot of people in the wine business. Uh, some of them are very well known. Like I met Josh Bergstrom and his wife, and Ashley and Aaron from Domendru. And uh, they're all working down the street here at the Ponzi wine bar mm-hmm. back in the old days. And after I came back to San Jose after my three months hiatus here, and I came up and volunteered for uh, Harvest back in 99, uh, helped Josh with his first harvest. <laughs> and um, then when I came back down to San Jose for work, uh, they asked me to move up here to transfer. They were going to transfer the division of the company I worked for. <laughs> up here and they asked me want to move and they gave me a lot of incentive to move i said <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> so um i said okay i want to live in wine country i like the area and um, first place i looked at is this place wow actually um and i looked at another place but this is the one i really it went with a hunch more than anything else. I really like the property, the land, the view, um, the soil. And it took a lot of work. It wasn't as what you see right now. Sure. Uh, so in all one, uh, Josh and I, uh, Josh helped me uh, plant the vineyard. and. And I moved here, fixed up the house, cleared the land, we planted the vineyard. And long story short, around uh, 2004 was my first uh, harvest after the third leaf, basically. 
and uh, I made my wine for the first four years at uh, Bergstrom Winery mm -hmm. and from 2004 to 2007 and um, the wines were hit from day one starting with my 04 which was a great wine still a great wine till now <laughs> uh, got really nice scores and everything and um, in 07 after an 08 Josh decided he didn't want to do anybody's wine anymore, so I transferred to the Carlton Winemaker Studio. I started working with Robert Britton, and um, I was in the studio till 2011. I kind of actually uh, I retract back a little bit. In 2010, I tore down my garage here and uh, built a winery in its place, and so I made. Wine 09, 10, part of 11, I made it here and split my production to here in the studio. And starting in 12, I made all my wine here. Wow. So, quite a journey. Yeah. Uh, I'm originally from Lebanon. I grew up in Lebanon, Beirut. I came here when I was 21. Um, I came to school, ran away from the war, and <laughs> all the fun stuff mm -hmm. and came to finish college here actually. I went to school in St. Louis at Washington University, studied engineering and computer science. I have a bachelor degree in computer science, bachelor degree in electrical engineering and a master's degree in electrical engineering. And um, then I moved to the DC area after my first marriage <laughs> and that's where I mid-90s like I said quit my job uh, and uh, moved to New York went to cooking school there at the CIA so so what, what made you decide to do to start going to cooking school in the first place? well I wasn't too happy with what was going on with my job and I went to a divorce back then so uh, let's let's call it midlife early midlife crisis <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I said I wanted to do something different so that's why I end up just say, sure. let's do it. I tend to be uh, impulsive sometimes and just do things <laughs> without, which is actually worked out for my advantage, you know. Kind of unusual for an engineer to, to be that way. Well, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's it in a nutshell. Um, Starting uh, as far as wine development, first five years until 08, I only made one wine from my state vineyard. Mm -hmm. And uh, 09, I started buying fruit from other vineyards and started making Chardonnay and a few single vineyard Pinots. I started making a blend called Memoirs, which is a blend of all the Pinot Noirs I make, uh, which has old family pictures on the label. And uh, and I start started a wine club also where sell my wine, <laughs> mm -hmm, sure. and uh, and I make some wine specific to my wine club. Some of them only one barrel, twenty four cases, uh, a couple of them actually, and uh, that's it. Starting in two thousand twelve, I made a new wine called Mojo, which is. Cafran Pinot Noir blend, 50-50 blend. The Cafran came from uh, Knights Valley in Sonoma, and the Pinot is from my estate. It's been a very popular wine. 
once in a while I make 100% Caffron from the same grapes, only two barrels sometimes, and that's it. Um, I quit my job last July. I was commuting to the Bay Area for uh, somewhere in the middle, failed to mention that <laughs> around 2005, I quit my job here, the mm -hmm. job that moved me here. Okay and I uh, got another job in the Bay Area. So on the premise, maybe I'll do it for a few years and then move back up here. 11 years later, I was still commuting. Um, I, um, on the plane every week to San Jose, just five days a week down there and come here on the weekend and do all the wine work and and sell the wine and pay the bills and take care of the vineyard and everything else that's going around here until uh, you know I came to the point where I couldn't do it anymore uh, some health setbacks too that gave me a reality check so last July I quit and a successful career actually and, um, and I'm doing this full time now Takes quite a passion to do that. Yeah. Uh, what else? Oh, I planted a new vineyard uh, three years ago. We'll cut them all that way on Overlook Drive. I leased the land. I put in five acres of Chardonnay and three acres, I mean, sorry, three acres of Chardonnay and uh, five, five acres of Pinot. Pinot, I put in nine clones of Pinot and four clones of Chardonnay. I like variety <laughs> uh, I'm the kind of winemaker that believe, doesn't believe in single glowing bottlings mm -hmm. uh, because I believe the more the clones the more com complex the wine is the more different flavor profiles you're gonna see um, so yeah so the main source of grape for me right now are my state vineyard here and uh, the new vineyard which is called Anonimo. The owner wanted to call it Anonimo. He wanted the word Mo in it. <laughs> He's Italian, so uh, Anonimo means anonymous in English. <laughs> so it's a great site actually. I had my first harvest from it last year. And amazing wines actually. I'm very happy with it. So. When you started making wine and, grow, and growing grapes, uh, how did you go about learning your trade? Well, I learned from other people and, you know, reading, practice, making wine. You know, when I first, you know, Josh actually made the wine at the beginning and I learned from him, Robert, and, you know, just trying things. I believe winemaking is like cooking. You have to have a knack for it. You have to have a good palate. Um, it's not all about chemistry, although chemistry is important. And it just knowing what, how to, which barrels to use for your blend, mm -hmm. what type of oak. I always experiment and learn and evolve, basically. And uh, I believe you never stop learning because if you don't, you stop learning. You never get anywhere. So I, what I, basically in a nutshell, I learn and evolve. That's that's my winemaking philosophy. I try things. I keep what I like. I don't keep what I don't like. Whether it's barrels, whether it's 
the type of wine, whether it's the yeast, whatever it is. So, and I, my other philosophy is I never put a wine in a bottle that I don't like, even it means dumping it down the drain, mm. which I've done a few times. Mm. And, or sold it bulk. Luckily, it doesn't happen often, but I've done it. And, and so, and the key point for my wine making is balance and complexity. The wine got to be balanced, you cannot have too much alcohol, too much acid, too much tannins, it's, and the complexity where, you know, you taste the wine, it's gonna linger on your palate, and you're gonna, more of the layering, you're gonna taste different layers in the wine, and a lot of complexity in the wine. And, um, uh, what else? I don't really, I don't compromise on anything as far as winemaking. I, I buy the most expensive barrels money can buy, the most expensive bottles. The bottle is not going to make a difference, but I think if the bottle looks good, I think it's the whole package at the end of the day. And same thing with the corks. I, this year I just started making it using TCA tested corks. So TCA free corks, they're very expensive. They add 15 cents a cork, but it's, I think it's worth it when somebody open your bottle, don't get disappointed. So, um, and you, so you talked about having a good palate as a winemaker. Did you develop your palate while you were cooking before, before you started? Yeah, I mean, I always had, I think I was had a good palate as far as, you know, and the cooking helps too, because it develops your palate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes you're born with it, sometimes you're not. I'm lucky enough that I, I think I have a good palate, so. So you've been a fairly small production winery so far. Are you, do you plan to stay that way? Yes, uh, I have no plan. People ask me actually, now that I quit my job, mm -hmm. am I gonna expand? And I said, no way. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, if anything, I shrunk my production a little bit. My 2016 Pinot production is down about 15%. And Chardonnay went up uh, probably 20%, but overall production went down about 300 cases. So I'm gonna stay under 2,000 cases a year, and I have no plan of expanding. Um, so I don't, I wanna focus on quality. Mm -hmm. I don't want to build an empire <laughs> and, and I'll sell the wines I'm comfortable with and I try to keep the focus on quality, not quantity, so. So how do you see the concept of terroir? What do you, what do you take that to mean in your wines? Oh, it's very important and if you taste my wine, you can taste every, you know, I typically make four single vineyard pinots and you can there is a huge difference between them and i usually in addition to my estate vineyard which is has very distinctive tenoir and people drink the wine recognize it immediately they always produce silky very aromatic pinots mm -hmm. uh, and versus i buy grapes from britain vineyard for example which is darker uh great great vineyard also dark fruit bright acid great structure wine is going to last really a long time 
So if you taste the four different vineyards I make, uh, they're very distinctive. And I like to seek vineyards that are distinctive in a good way, not just to be different. Mm -hmm. um, and and the terroir on my state vineyard, I mean, it's, it's amazing. I actually got lucky uh, landing here because mm -hmm. even vineyards very close from here are very different mm -hmm. than this place. Mainly is the depth of the soil, the exposure, it's east facing, the shading around the vineyard, which keep things in check and hot years like we've been having recently. Mm -hmm. So you don't have overripe grapes. The grapes take their time to ripen. And it's very cool here in the afternoon because in addition to the shading, you got a nice breed that sweeps down the valley in here. Um, so, yeah. And, um, and I only buy, if I buy grapes, only buy grapes from vineyards I really like. If I try them once and I don't like them, I don't buy them again. So, and I, again, I probably pay per ton, pay the most expensive fruit in the valley, basically. Um, I'm not gonna mention who, but. <laughs> uh, that's it, that's really my, basically it's, uh, when they say, uh, let the vineyard speak for itself, I know it's cliche, but that's what I really believe in. And you can taste them on my wines. I mean, people recognize the vineyard. If people are familiar with the area and taste particular wine, they recognize that vineyard in my wine. It's, the character of the vineyard is there. And although the other aspect of this thing, you know, you got the weather give you throw you a different curve every year. But you know, even my state vineyard year to year is different. Really it reflects the season, the growing season. And but there's certain signatures in the wine you can tell this is from this like the silkiness of the wine, mm -hmm. the aromas of the wine, certain flavors you can taste. Although the wine might taste very different, might be darker versus lighter or a little bit more acid, a little bit more tannins, but certain characteristics of the wines are still there. You can taste them year to year. So, so you talked a little bit about uh, Robert, uh, uh, excuse me, Robert Britton and Josh Bergstrom. Uh, were there any other sort of mentors in the industry or, or people you became close with while you were getting started? Well, I'm not shy about asking questions, learning from other people. I mean, I don't, these are the two main people I worked with. Uh, with my my wine my short wine career mm -hmm. I mean it's only been making wine since 2004 so but um, you know I read I taste and I you know a lot of the learning I've done really lately I've done on my own mm -hmm. since I start making my wine here at, the, at my winery so a lot of experimentation and learning so on the flip side of that, uh, now that you are establishing yourself in the industry, have you found yourself mentoring some of the new people in the industry? Yeah, I mean, I find, which is flattering, I find a lot of people want to come and approach me, want to come and work here. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I do have had some great help throughout the years also. So, yeah, I'm always willing. Um, people ask me about how I do certain things. I always will. Answer them. Sure, sure. It's a nice <laughs> industry be. for that. Absolutely.
Uh, people are very helpful and they are you know, very, very nice actually. So you talked a bit about your educational background earlier. I'm curious how you've seen your education uh, sort of influence you in the industry. Well, I tell you what, one thing engineering helped me with, <laughs> the winery, <laughs> all the broken equipment. <laughs> I'm known to fix things. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, well, it's definitely, I mean, you own a winery is like, Particularly last year, it seemed like everything was breaking down. Murphy's Law at its best, <laughs> worst possible time. And you know, I had a few emergencies. Um, my educational background definitely helped. Uh, whether doing electrical work or fixing equipment mm -hmm. or building something or whatever it is. Or, uh, but measuring temperature and stuff like that, all these things, you know, definitely. From a technical point, as far as the winemaking, yeah, again, it's all about how to use the equipment, how mm -hmm. to use the computer, for example, mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's about it. Did you ever consider, while you're in California and having to commute, did you ever consider doing wine in California instead of Oregon? No, uh, really I like the area here, uh, besides I couldn't afford it in California, uh, it's just, I'm still paying debt still now, <laughs> it took, I spend, uh, spend, you know, all I've been forking money into this operation, I know it's a small operation, but you'll be surprised how expensive equipment are and yeah. buildings are. Yeah. <laughs> so although I have a small winery, a very small winery, I still have a lot of equipment, expensive equipment, the equi kind of equipment that big wineries have. Sure. I mean, it really doesn't, whether you're 2,000 cases, you might compromise on certain things or the size of your press or whatever. But as far as the stemmers, sorting tables, all the stuff, same equipment that big wineries have and, and uh, again I don't compromise on anything as far as impacting the quality of the wine so um, um, yeah so where do you see the future of your winery going then where do you see it in the next 10 10 15 years well like I said I want to stay small I want to stay where I am um, just continue making great wines and trying to improve the wines, continue improving the wines, and, and that's going to be my main focus. Try and enjoy life. I work too hard in my life. <laughs> I've been working for almost 45 years, believe it or not. I'm only 57 now. I started working when I was 12. And, and most of the time, work two jobs at a time. <laughs> this is not the first one. When I was cooking and engineering, and I was winemaking and engineering and before that I was going to school and working at my dad's grocery store when I was a kid mm -hmm. and um, just keep it small focus on quality and like I said I don't want to build an empire just hoping uh, it's a very competitive business and um, I just continue making good wine and improve on it.
Is there anything new you'd like to try? New variety or new style? Uh, I try, I mean, a good example, I started making a whole cluster two mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always, I cannot tell you what I'm going to try to make in five years, sure. but I tell you what I've tried, mm -hmm. like a couple of examples, I made the, the Mojo, mm -hmm. uh, uh, which is the Caffron Pinot. Mm -hmm. And a couple of years ago, I started making, based on an experiment I'd done in 2012, I started making 100% whole cluster. And I did it as an experiment from my state vineyard here. Mm -hmm. And I liked it so much, I decided to bottle it separately, create another label, which I didn't need. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's been added to, it's been a very popular wine. My 14 sold out in six months. Mm -hmm. And uh, my 15 is uh, delicious too. And um, so another variety I tried last year is Syrah. Mm -hmm. I made a couple mm -hmm. barrels from Britain Vineyard because I like, I like the Syrah from that vineyard. And um, what else would I try in the future? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um, um, might do a reserve Chardonnay for my, but that's the same variety. Mm -hmm. um, but I continuously try, I like to make, uh, well, we're trying to make, I have a joint venture with a few other wineries. Uh, we're trying to make some bubbles. <laughs> oh, really? So, but that will not be released. Only 50 cases that will not be released for another three years. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe more <laughs> and uh, yeah that's it I don't know what the future bring but so far this is where I'm heading what advice would you give someone who was looking to get into the Oregon wine industry uh, know what you're getting into <laughs> and wine in general I mean it's not doesn't have to be Oregon or Mm -hmm. or California and you have to know what you're doing for sure uh, definitely know what you're doing know what you're getting into it because if you if you don't do it right it's it's a very tough business to be in it's very competitive competitive as far as there's a lot of wines out there mm -hmm. you know and and if you don't make a good wine is or or control your expenses or whatever it's it's not gonna sell or you gonna might sell it at a loss mm -hmm. or you might never make money it, it takes a while to you know I mean the only reason I was comfortable quitting my job because I was almost I mean I have an assistant winemaker but almost a one-man show for the longest time. Mm -hmm. and doing the sales, doing the tasting, doing the uh, uh, winemaking, uh, mm -hmm. you name it. I sure. did it. The accounting, the payroll, all that stuff. Um, but in a nutshell, do it right or don't do it. This is what I believe. Um, and don't compromise on anything. If you don't like the wine, don't put it in a bottle. I don't believe in second chances in this business because it's like you go to a restaurant, you have a bad meal. Mm -hmm. You might go back one more time, give it another try. Second time you have a bad meal, you never go back. Right. The same thing with wine. <clears throat> you, you have a wine one time, you don't like it. 
you might give them another chance, but after that, you're not gonna go there. You're not gonna buy the wine. You know. What other choices out there? Yep, absolutely. And you know, there's a lot of great wines out there, and you gotta stay ahead of the game, basically. Be innovative. Figure out how to make your wine better. Uh, you know, be creative. So, I don't do any marketing. And when I first got into the business, people, I said, oh, make a good wine, it sells itself. They laughed at me. <laughs> but, the proof is true. And, you know, I, most of my business is word of mouth, based on, you know, I'll get some good press in magazine, whatever, ratings, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. That, of course, helps. But mm -hmm. most of my business word of mouth, people, taste my wine, tell other people. I don't do, like I said, I don't do any marketing, I don't do Facebook, I don't do any social media or any of that stuff, which maybe I should, but I don't have time for it. If the wine is selling, it doesn't yep. need to. Yep. So where do you see the future of the Oregon wine industry in general going? I think it's a good future. Things are definitely getting better, the wine quality improving. There's a lot of interest I could see. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people jumping aboard, mm -hmm. whether it's from California or the French or whoever it is, or the investors. I see investors buying land and uh, hoping the property value is going to increase, and I think they will. But there's a lot of wineries out there. Like I said, they got to be a lot of starting with new labels. I hear about a new label every day, which surprised me. It's like, where does that come from? <laughs> and so, how many of them will survive? How much consolidation are you going to see? You know, we see some consolidation going on. Mm -hmm. and, um, will we ever become like Napa? I don't know. Maybe. Um, so, we'll see what happens. But I think we have. As a region, there's a lot of interest. I see it. There's people, even visitors. We've seen people never came here before. Mm -hmm. A lot of people never came here before. And I see, I hear, I mean, I can feel that there is a buzz about Oregon as the new wine area to discover. Mm -hmm. And so I see a bright future. Hopefully it'll be bright. <laughs> Uh, when, I, I meant to ask you this earlier. When you first came up, was that your first time in Oregon? When you were first sent up here by your company? Yes. That was your first time here. Yeah. And so you felt so you felt the same way. Then you had you kind of ca caught the buzz too. Yeah, I mean, early on, back when I came here in '99, I mean, the area grew a lot yeah. since yeah. you're talking about 18 years ago. Yeah. So um, I saw big growth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think probably vineyard land more, probably more than doubled since 29. I don't know, I have the exact figures. I know it's more than double. The wineries and uh, yep, exactly. Yeah. So, and I jumped into it. You know, like I said, I tend to be impulsive and do things. What the what the hell? <laughs> Let's do this. But you know, I believe if you work hard. Do the right things, 
don't compromise on anything as far as quality you you're bound to succeed yeah well those are all the questions i have planned for you is there anything else you'd like to say anything i should have asked that i didn't oh i think i talked too much already <laughs> no this is perfect <laughs> well then we'll stop here i thank you very much for your time I really oh, you're appreciate welcome. This. absolutely thank you for joining us for this edition of the oregon wine history archive podcast and thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.